Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. How does our position in an organization's hierarchy affect our perception of racism? A new study published in the American Sociological Review aims to tackle just that question. Authors Adia Harvey-Wingfield and Koji Chavez talked to 60 black workers in the healthcare industry. All of them perceived racism, but there were stark differences in what was perceived by physicians, nurses, and technicians. And here to discuss it today is the study's co-author, that's Adia Harvey-Wingfield. She's a professor of sociology at Washington University in St. Louis, and she's also associate dean for faculty development. So, Adia, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So you found big differences in the racism reported by physicians versus nurses and then versus technicians. What, for example, did physicians report seeing? So physicians were a lot more likely to talk less about individual interactions that they had that were a challenge and more likely to put their challenges in the context of bigger structural problems. So they would talk, for example, about issues with access to education or issues finding mentors or even issues getting into hiring. And those would be the areas where, for them, the biggest challenges were present when it came to race in the workplace. And how does that compare with, say, nurses? Very differently. So nurses did not usually, nurses would talk some about uh, individual experiences that, that they had, but they were more likely to consider those to be a bigger part of their experiences with workplace discrimination. They would acknowledge that hiring was an issue for nurses and that there were educational problems as well, but they were a lot more likely to talk about challenges with supervisors and to situate these as examples of individual discrimination that were a lot more prevalent. So something that felt personal to them. Very much so. Okay. Yes. How about then technicians? And for those who aren't in the medical industry, a technician would kind of be the lowest uh, man on this particular totem pole. Yes, exactly. One of the things that I learned pretty quickly in my research was that healthcare is very hierarchical, and there are really clear divisions between doctors, nurses, and technicians. And technicians were even less likely than nurses to note a lot of the more structural barriers. They didn't talk as much about uh, structural patterns present in hiring that made it harder for black technicians across the board, but they would talk a lot about individual difficulties that they had with supervisors, sometimes with patients. So for them, their experiences were even more individualized than, say, nurses, and certainly more so than most doctors. Okay. Now, in terms of these doctors, I thought it was interesting. Um, they did report a few incidents that they seemed to sort of uh, paint as, as being somewhat rare. And these seem to involve not so much colleagues as maybe some older white patients. Mm -hmm. What are some things that they described there? Right. So in my book on the topic, I refer to this as the that one time experience, where doctors would say, well, there was that one time when something happened and this patient came in and they told me that they weren't going to allow me to treat them. But that was one time and it wasn't consistent with how I typically experience work. So in that vein of the one time experience, that was something that was common for some doctors, in my, not common, but that was something that did occur for some doctors in my study, that they would experience a time when patients would say, I just don't feel comfortable with you treating me. I'll just wait for someone else to, to be my doctor. That was more common among emergency medicine physicians than it was among many other types of doctors in the in the study. But that would be an example of the type of individual experience that doctors observe. And in terms of the emergency uh, medicine doctors, any sense, you want to hazard a guess of why they might be seeing this more than other colleagues? Yeah, I do. I have a theory about that. I think that when people see a physician, uh, particularly if you're a person who's fortunate enough to have private insurance, in many cases, the way that medicine is set up now, we actually can pre-select our doctors in advance. You can go online, you see who's in your network, and you pick someone that you feel comfortable seeing. So I think for many black doctors, that 
new model of medicine actually allows them to kind of absent themselves from some of the experiences of racial harassment that ER doctors experience. Whereas we all know, if you're going to see an emergency medicine doctor, it's an emergency. It's random. So you're already not kind of in your best place already from the beginning. But you also have much less control over who your physician will be. So you go to the ER, you see who's there. And I think for many emergency medicine doctors, the combination of those circumstances put them in environments where they experienced a lot more of those individual challenges than many other doctors did. That's interesting. I mean, as you point out, so many of us are choosing our physician mm-hmm. by going to maybe a website right. and we get their bio. And in many cases, we're even getting a photo. Mm-hmm. And exactly. I imagine this was probably much different 10 years ago right. um, when websites weren't quite as ubiquitous, maybe 20 years ago. Sure. I'm dating myself here. <laughs> but now, I'm wondering, you mentioned in your paper that prior research involving physicians had described routine, constant encounters with casual racism. Mm-hmm. Do you get the sense maybe this is something that's changing over time as more people are selecting if if they're a racist, they're selecting a doctor who looks like them? Or what do you think accounts for the difference between what was reported to you versus these other studies that you mentioned? Right. And some of those studies are my own work. I did some previous work on black men in various uh, occupations and professions and found that they were more likely to talk about these types of, of incidents. I don't know if I'm quite that optimistic that I feel that we're at the beginning of a sea change for what these doctors might be experiencing. Uh, But I do think, again, that specialty area makes a a big difference. And Mm -hmm. I think that some of the issue has to do with how we tend to do research on these areas. I think that many researchers go in asking uh, respondents questions about what types of things they might experience and framing it in line with these ideas about microaggressions that we're more likely to talk about today. But I think one of the things that comes out of my study that I want people to think about is that when we're thinking about the experience of discrimination, it may not always be this overt experience of microaggressions or things that are very commonplace or obvious to people. It might be more so the experience of being underrepresented in school systems, the experience of having a difficult time finding a mentor. Those aren't necessarily microaggressions, but they're still having an impact on how black professionals are perceiving their workplaces. Talk to me a little bit about um, what these physicians saw. They had some very specific things mm-hmm. that they were citing. I don't know if you're comfortable maybe reading a few sure. from, from what they told you, but um, I did find some of their observations interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a quote that I really like uh, from the paper uh, from Caroline, who's identified in the paper. Uh, she's a doctor, and she talked about the ways that she felt race mattered for black physicians getting hired. And she said, uh, by way of example, I was thinking to myself when we were going through all the fellowship applicants, why are we giving this girl a spot? I mean, nobody reviewed her application, really. I don't remember what her step scores were. These are licensing scores. I said, why are we giving this girl a spot? I didn't know what she looked like. I'd never worked with her before, but it it was almost a given that she was to come here. And I said, we only have three spots. We've got 100 applicants. Why her? And they said, well, she's the chief resident. She trained here. She needs a spot. The same was with another white guy who was given a spot. His dad was one of the professors in the radiology department, but he had a horrible personality. I said, this dude has no personality, y'all. Unless he's Albert Einstein, he's got the newest cancer drug. Let's move on. And they said, no, he's got one of our three spots. I said, let's review here. We're giving two spots to people without reviewing their applications. So really, everybody else is competing for one spot. And they said, yep. That's interesting. So they're picking up on kind of these informal networks Mm -hmm. or these connections that they see as as helping white colleagues in a way they themselves did not have help. Exactly. And I think this issue of informal networks that you've raised is really key here. Because again, these aren't things that come up if our research questions and our study designs ask people to talk about 
more overt things that happen to you in the workplace. If you're thinking along the lines of when is the last time someone was overtly rude to me or when is the last time that someone told me that I couldn't treat them, these types of issues aren't going to raise. But again, these are really important issues that matter for how black professionals have access into certain types of jobs because they are so grounded in the connections and the relationships that we have from which many black professionals aren't fully included. I thought it was interesting. The nurses um, talked a bit about historically black colleges Mm -hmm. and universities and how they felt that they were perceived. I know mm-hmm. many of those universities have excellent nursing programs. Mm-hmm. Um, what did what did they tell you about that? Yeah, so it might take me a minute to come up to find that particular quote, but nurses also talked about how there could be challenges in getting, getting hired because of the emphasis on credentialing and that perceptions of historically black colleges as being not as strong or not as educationally rigorous could potentially work to the disadvantage of some black nurses who are coming out of those places. The irony here, though, I think, is that that for many years, research and data have shown that graduates of HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, are actually more likely to earn doctorate degrees, to go to law school, to go to medical school. So these are environments that are actually doing an exemplary job training our generations of black professionals, but because of perceptions that they don't necessarily uh, offer the high levels of skill and training, those perceptions could potentially be working against the people who are coming out of those institutions. Hmm. We're talking to Adia Harvey-Wingfield. She's a professor of sociology at Washington University. She has a really fascinating new study out that's in, uh, it's published in the American Sociological Review. Um, let's talk a little bit about these technicians mm-hmm. because I felt like they were kind of on the front lines yeah. and people didn't necessarily treat them with the respect mm-hmm. that they treat physicians. They seem to have some encounters with patients um, that just seemed pretty troubling. Right. Right. Yes, that's definitely true. And this is another example of uh, the way in which healthcare is very hierarchical and how that can shape the experiences that that people have in it. Technicians are certainly on the front line. They're often the first to greet patients and to interact with them, which I think has an impact on the types of treatment they receive, particularly relative to doctors who now actually spend less time with patients. So I have a quote from uh, a respondent I identify in the paper as Darren, who is a technician. And he told me, when I walk into a room, I get these looks that I can read. Who is he? What is he here for? And the looks are incredible. The white people look at their family members and give them a side-eye look out of the corner of their eye. And they're a little surprised. The face tells many stories. It's a shocked look on them. Hmm. So this is an example, again, of seeing people kind of seeming surprised and perhaps uncertain that the technician who's there to provide care is someone who's black, which may not be what they've expected. And the technician, um, this is not someone like a physician where people are going and selecting one on a website. That's a random assignment there. Exactly. Which I think, again, helps to explain why their experiences and their perceptions of this individual discrimination are a lot more frequent than what doctors describe. You to my knowledge, can't select your technician for the most part. (laughs) Now, this is overall a very serious subject, but I will say there was one part of your study that (laughs) did make me laugh out loud, and that was the technician's perceptions of the doctors. In some cases, it sounded like they had had some some interactions that weren't pleasant with doctors, but they did not chalk that up to racism. Tell me what what they thought about these um, these doctors that were rude. Yes, I will. This is a a funny part in the study as well. Technicians uh, did not really see doctors as being a source of racial tension as much so as they did patients. And a quote from Sonia really spells this out. Sonia said to me, doctors are just rude to everybody. 
Honestly, I can't tell you of a situation where a physician was unduly rude or nasty to me because of my color. They are just rude people, period. So, sorry to uh, physicians who happen to be listening. <laughs> yes, I hope if anyone's listening that either they will understand this isn't about them or that it will help them correct right. their behavior. Exactly. The technicians are paying attention to, exactly. to how you're treating them. So bigger picture, um, I'm very interested in this research that you did because not only did you do these surveys and, and you and your colleagues talked to 60 different people, but you also did field research mm-hmm. where you were out there observing these workplaces firsthand. Mm-hmm. Why was that important for this study? I really wanted to get a sense of the day-to-day experiences that healthcare workers had in the field. Interviews are really useful because they allow people to go into depth about what their experiences are and what they see and what seems most pertinent to them. But if you're actually there with them at work, you get a whole different firsthand view that sometimes will corroborate or sometimes will challenge or in most cases just shed more light and elaborate further on the things that they're dealing with at work and what they're seeing firsthand. It really gave me a unique window into that. Can you give me an example of how maybe something you witnessed when you're out there doing this field work ended up influencing how you understood the surveys or, or um, the, the bigger problems that you're looking at. Sure. So one of my favorite examples from my field work uh, corroborated points that doctors made to me about their everyday lack of experience with racial harassment and bias. And this came as I was uh, working a night shift, actually, with one of the doctors in an emergency medicine department. And I was filling out some notes at the front desk during a lull. And an emergency medicine technician who was white came over to me and said, we have to get to exam room six. We've got to deal with this patient. We've got to get her mask off. And I looked up and I realized he thought I was an actual doctor. So I kind of demurred and I said, uh, you should probably talk to someone else. And he said, no, it's got to be you. We've got to act fast. This has to happen. And I was kind of stunned because I have no business practicing medicine <laughs> of any kind. You can't let that peer pressure get exactly. to you. You don't want to go treat that patient. Exactly. So I said, no, I really think you want to talk to, uh, to Sonia, who was a few rows down from me. And so finally she saw what was happening and she came over and she said, I'll take care of it. She's not actually a medical doctor. And he still was confused. And he looked at me and he said, how can that be? You have on the white coat. And I thought that was so interesting because it really lent a lot of credence to what doctors were telling me about how they could actually be in these work environments as place as people who fit in to a large degree. It wasn't a case of the type of uh, misperception and doubt that we see in a lot of the research about black professionals, that even in my case, as someone as an outsider, simply wearing the white coat was all it took to be perceived as a doctor to the point where I was, as you put it, receiving pressure to complete medical treatment that I'm not qualified in any way to give. But it really underscored what the doctors were telling me about how their issues aren't so much those things of um, dealing with those types of challenges. It's more the lack of mentorship. It's more the challenges present in the educational system. It's more the biases that are present in hiring that really create the difficulties for them. So in general, do you think a higher professional status, like say being a physician, can insulate a person of color from discriminatory practices and and these kind of incidents? So I think it depends on what those discriminatory practices are, right? And I think some of it does have to do with specialty area because as I mentioned, emergency medicine doctors had a bit of a different different. experience, right? But I do think that status does matter because it does shape the type of interactions that we have with people in the workplace, and it does shape how those interactions are structured. So I don't know that I would go so far as to say that, and certainly it's not supported by the data, that black workers who achieve a certain level of status are somehow then 
completely, uh, if you'll forgive the pun, inoculated from these types of racial issues. But I do think that it has an impact on how they're experienced and which types of things seem most significant to them. So I know this issue of healthcare is one that's um, just a particular focus for you. You mm-hmm. have a book on this. It's called Flatlining, Healthcare Work, Race, and Inequality in the New Economy. What attracted you to the idea um, of healthcare through this lens? Yeah, so I really was interested in starting that project in thinking about how changes to how we work were having an impact on black professionals, right? And we know that there have been a lot of shifts to work over the past maybe 30 or 40 years. Work used to be this thing that people could count on being pretty stable. People would work for one company for the duration of a career. There was a pretty robust public sector that offered subsidized uh, education and access to training. Uh, Of course, there was a lot of racial segregation during this time period also, which meant that that work wasn't available to everyone. But we're now at a period of time where work is a lot more insecure for many people. And the pathways into professional work have become a lot less stable and a lot less secure. We see that by way of example with the enormous amounts of student loan debt that people are taking on now to get qualified for jobs that are becoming more, more uncertain. But simultaneously, many organizations and workplaces talk more about wanting more racial diversity. And I was really curious about how black professionals were navigating what I saw as a bit of a tension there, where companies say that they want more diversity at the same time that professional jobs are shrinking and becoming less stable. And healthcare to me was a perfect example of all of those things. It's an industry where certainly it's subject to a lot of these shifts, where professions like medicine and nursing do talk more about wanting more racial diversity. And it just seemed like a really amazing site that I could sink my teeth into, so to speak, and talk with people about how they were dealing with those those transitions. And you have noted the lack of representation more broadly um, mm-hmm. within that healthcare industry. I'm wondering, where is the industry now on that front? I... Maybe this is an area where I am somewhat optimistic. I do think that healthcare as a profession is more aware of some of the challenges that they face. And I do think that they're genuinely serious about wanting to solve these issues related to racial diversity. You can look at statements put out by the American Medical Association, the American College of Nursing, and they do seem to get it to the degree that they realize that given the data that show that physician, excuse me, practitioner, patient, racial matching can really matter in outcomes, Mm -hmm. this is a big problem if your practitioner base continues to be so dissimilar from the changing demographics of our American population, right? In short, if you want to continue to practice medicine and do so effectively, knowing that it matters to have people practicing who look like the patients, there's a long way to go in terms of closing that gap. And I do think that many medical professionals and industries are aware of that. I think that they are making steps to try to address these issues. And my hope is that my research can shed some light on other solutions and other ideas that it might be useful to keep in mind as they go about this path of trying to make these changes happen. Well, Adia Harvey Wingfield, a sociology professor at Washington University, thank you so much for joining thank us today. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.